Well, good morning. God is good? And all the time? Amen. Well, it is a joy to be here this morning. We got a lot of announcements, so I'm going to go through them kind of quickly and share with you. Uh, First off, as you came in this morning, you may have seen the uh, Christmas shoebox, Operation Christmas shoebox. The boxes are out in the lobby. They're in the shape of a Christmas tree. How many of y'all saw it when you came in? I felt like when I saw that, it was like Jenga, like you're supposed to pull one out without the whole thing falling down. But there's plenty of boxes there. Love for you to grab one at the go table. Uh, They did a wonderful job in making that Christmas tree out of all those boxes. Also, our senior adult road trip is coming up on Monday, November 28th through uh, the Thursday, December 1st. Today is the deadline for you to sign up and pay your deposit to make sure that you have a spot on that trip. You can see Brother Randy. He would love to speak with you. You can also go to the events table uh, and sign up there. But Brother Randy has all the information. Love to speak to you about that as well. Also, Walk for Bibles is coming up on Saturday, October 15th at Medal of Honor Park. Uh, This is the Mobile Baptist Association. One of the ways that they raise money to buy uh, Bibles for the seafarers who are coming in all different languages. And so this is their 5K walk. If you would like to walk, Luke 418 will sponsor each person $100. So if we have 100 people walk, that's $10,000. Um, I won't be there as I've shared, but Brother Randy's going to walk in my place. So he's going to walk twice. He's going to do a 10K that day. Y'all make sure of that for me. Also, we have Grand Monday night, which is this Monday, tomorrow, October 3rd, from 6.30 to 7.30 in the youth room. Last week, y'all heard a great testimony of how God is using that in the lives of our grandparents on how to speak into the lives of their grandchildren. We also have our marriage retreat coming up October 28th through the 30th in Destin, Florida. Be sure to register online for the conference and uh, hotel if you sign up. You can sign up at the grow table for that as well. Now also, October is our deacon nomination month. And so uh, if you got the bulletin, if you didn't get that, you can sign up for it at our uh, guest uh, visitors table. And you can get the bulletin. It's all electronic now. And you can see on there how to go about nominating uh, a, a deacon. And so be praying, seeking the Lord, asking the Lord if there's anybody that, that he is placing on your heart to nominate. It's all throughout the month of October. Now, when the Lord places somebody on your heart, then go to them and speak to them and make sure that this is something that they also feel comfortable in you nominating them uh, for that position. So you can do all of that at the welcome desk um, and at the back table by the sound booth. Okay, and then we have one more announcement today. If you saw in the lobby, there was Lifeline, had a booth there. And uh, Lifeline is a, uh, well, here it is right here, foster care, children, family support, um, and adoption. And Lifeline, we have been a part with them uh, over the years. And just recently, our children did the lemonade stand. Y'all remember the lemonade stand? And in that, they raised $2,700, I think. Was that right about that? For Lifeline, uh, for the orphans in Ukraine. And so they're here today. But what's really exciting is that we have uh, a couple here, uh, James and Janice Shore, who just uh, became grandparents again because their daughter, Catherine, and son-in-law, Blake, adopted through Lifeline. And so we're going to show this video here um, of Catherine and Blake's Adoption through Lifeline. I speak the name of Jesus over you. In your hurting, in your sorrow, I will ask my God to move. I speak the name because it's all that I can do. In desperation, I'll seek heaven and pray this for you. I pray for your healing. Circumstances would change. Hi, Brandon. We can't wait for you to be in our family. We love you. We're so excited for you to be in our family. You're such a blessing to us. And we can't wait to be with you, to hug you, and for you to be our little boy. We love you forever. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I speak the name of 
There's no better representation of what the gospel is like than a child being adopted because we were enemies of God until he came and made us children of the king. Amen. Congratulations, James and Janice, and we'll be praying for the Thaxton family. Uh, would you just give them a round of applause one more time? And that's what we celebrate today. Uh, would you read this with me? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that's what our choir is going to sing about today. For God so loved that we can bring all of our burdens and our sins, lay them at the foot of the cross, and become children of the King.
Would you stand with us? It says in Hebrews 1.3, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purifications for sin, he, meaning Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We know uh, not just have a Savior who has been through everything that we will go through, but we have a Savior that is king forevermore and holds all power in his hands. Let's sing together majesty this morning. Majesty, worship his majesty. Praise the Lord. 
as we continue. And that's our story. That He gave us mercy. He gave us grace. Something that we completely did not deserve. In Ephesians, Paul writes, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen? And he did that with a cruel cross, suffering beyond anything that anyone could bear for us. Amen. Let's sing this together. When I survey the Come and find that I'm 
we bless your name. As we come to a close to the, the time that we have to worship today, through song, I mean, we're going to be worshiping the whole time and forevermore, if you know Jesus in your heart. Amen. I want you to take an account of, of all the things that you're holding back from the Lord today. You give it over to Him and you'll come to a place where all you see is Him and everything around you grows strangely dim as you come to the heart of worship. Let's sing this together. When the music fades, all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things are you're looking into my heart. I'm King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. Sing it to him today. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself. Is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart, my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for nothing I've made When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry. We pray that we would take all those things that we're carrying and those burdens that we have and we would give them over to you, that you would change us and that you would use us for your goodwill and your purposes, Lord. We just pray today that with the time that we have, the breath that we have in our lungs, that that would be all for you. That we would take a look at ourselves and judge our own standards of morality, not against the world around us, but against your holy word today. I just pray that we would see that your holiness is above and beyond anything that we could think is all right. That we would humble ourselves and know there is no way back but through Jesus Christ. The name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. We pray today that we would have your righteousness and not our righteousness. That when we see you face to face, you would say, well done, well done good and faithful servant because you see your son. We love you. We pray that we get to know you more each day. We would grow in you. 
that would go in you to all the world. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, open up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. For those who go to the Bible, the YouVersion Bible app, we have our notes there, and you may have opened that up this week, this weekend and saw that we have uh, like five points today, and I have realized that I was a little overzealous. We're going to do point one and two today. Um, we're going to focus in as we look at the six antitheses or uh, this understanding where Jesus is speaking about the law and the correct understanding of the law. In Matthew 5, 21, all the way to the end, he is ultimately saying, the Pharisees tell you this, but let me give you the correct understanding of the law. And so today we're going to look at the first antithesis. So if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 21. It says, You have heard the ancients were told, You shall not murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponents at law, while you are with him on the way so that your opponents may not hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we know that your word will not return void. Your word is living and active. It cuts through the, the bone and marrow to the heart. And Father, we recognize that it's through the Holy Spirit of promise that you illuminate the pages for us today that we may place this into our heart. And Father, I ask that you would set me down on the front row and let me hear what you are speaking today. Give us ears to hear and a heart to obey. For it's in your precious and holy name. Amen. You know, we come to these six antitheses, and they can be difficult. Today, we're going to look at this understanding of murder, but even more to the heart of it is anger. See, the first thing that we see here is that the Pharisees had their interpretation, their understanding. And the Pharisees were basically saying that as long as you don't murder, you're okay. You can have anger in your heart, you can be frustrated, you can have resentment, but as long as you don't go all the way to the act of murder, then everything is going to be okay. See, the Pharisees reduced the law to make it easy for them to keep it so that they would feel justified. Remember last week we talked about how we like to have a set of rules because when we have a set of rules, we feel like we know if we're hitting the mark or not. We know that that we deserve what we're getting because we're doing that according to the rules. That's what the Pharisees were focused on. And to kind of show you this the Pharisees interpretation and understanding of the law, I want to go back to Philippians chapter 3. Paul who when he was uh, before known as Saul, right? And Saul was persecuting the church. Now, he became the greatest missionary that we know. And Paul, in his letter to the church in Philippi, speaks these words. And I want you to hear very closely. I know that oftentimes when we read Philippians 3, we think about how all things are lost so that we may know Christ. We count it all as dung so that we can know Christ is what he says. But I want you to hear what he says about being a Pharisee. He says this in verse 4 through 6. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day 
of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Now look what he says in verse 6. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Interesting. Paul says here, hey, according to the law, I was found blameless. But we recognize that when he's speaking that, he's saying, according to the law, in the interpretation of the Pharisees, he was found blameless. Why? Because they looked at just this act of murder. Did he murder somebody? Up until uh, we see, really with... uh, uh, the, the stoning of Stephen, and, and, and he wasn't even a part. He was just standing back, holding the cloaks, right? Holding the jackets. But up until this point, he was looking and viewing the law as just this few set of rules that as long as he did these things, he was okay. To show you even further, in Matthew chapter 19, y'all remember the rich young ruler comes to Jesus? And what does the rich young ruler say to Jesus? He says, teacher, how do I obtain eternal life? Jesus then says to him, he says, he says, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus then goes on and says, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And look at what the young man said, the, young, the rich young ruler. He said to him, all these I have kept. What am I still lacking? See, as a Pharisee, he saw the interpretation they had. As long as I did this and this and this, then I'm okay. But then Jesus goes to the heart of the issue. How does Jesus go to the heart of the issue? He says, okay, now one more thing. Go and sell everything and follow me. In that moment, what did he do? He left, left sad because he had so much and, and he didn't want to give all that away. Jesus goes to the heart of of the issue. See, even Paul says in Philippians 3, after we see about how he could justify himself as a Pharisee according to the law, look at what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 7 through 12. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And look closely at verse 9. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. See, he gets it. He said, hey, I was a Pharisee. I recognize that as long as I have these these little rules, these actions that they tell me not to do, murder, commit adultery, this and that, as long as I don't do these one little things, I'm okay. Now he's recognizing because he's been born again, he says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Church, we see here the Pharisees' view of the law. As long as they don't do these few things, they're okay. It's all about the action. See, that's the reason why Jesus comes and he's speaking the correct interpretation of the law. So we see here Jesus' correct interpretation of the law beginning in verse 22. But I say to you, remember, But I say to you, Jesus setting himself up in a place of authority. He's saying, I'm the one who gave the law to Moses. I'm the one who spoke the law. And I'm the only one who can give the proper interpretation of the law. Now you may remember when when we talked two weeks ago on the law and the prophets. And I told you that Jesus is actually affirming the Old Testament. Y'all remember that? He's affirming the Old Testament. And Jesus quoted the Old Testament over and over. And before we look at the progression of anger that Jesus speaks about pertaining to the heart, let's see how the Old Testament also speaks of anger. And so Jesus is also affirming the Old Testament when he speaks of the heart of the matter. It says in Psalm 37, 8, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. In Proverbs 14, 29, He who is slow to anger has great understanding, 
but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the, the slow to anger calms a dispute. Proverbs 24, do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man. And then in verse 25, it tells you, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. What about Proverbs 29, 11? A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Now, I don't know about each of you, but when I read through the book of Proverbs and I see all of this about anger, it's convicting, right? It's convicting. And that's before we even get to what Jesus is speaking about anger. So Jesus is affirming the Old Testament by what he is telling us that it's in the heart of man that we must follow the law of God. Now, let's go through this progression that we see here in verse 22. Let me read verse 22 to you again and you'll see that progression not just in the anger, but you'll see the progression in this penalty, so to say. It says this in verse 22, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Okay? Then it says, And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And then it goes on, And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. So we see this progression. Let's start with the first one. It says, Oh, Something fell over there. Let's start with the first one. It says that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. The first thing that we see in this is anger in your heart. Jesus shares that having anger in your heart towards your brother is the same act as murder. It's the same as murder. It's the, remember, they're all sin takes us away from holy God. All sin separates us from holy God. We, in our culture and in our mind, we like to categorize which one is worse than others. But we recognize that one sin separates you from holy God. Jesus is sharing that this anger in your heart is the same as the act of murder. Now, Jesus was angry and he did not sin, right? We see his righteous anger when he flips over the tables, right, in the, the court of the Gentiles, right, in, in the, uh, up by the temple and, and that area. And he said that you have made my father's house a house of din and thieves, but it's, his father's house is a house of prayer for all nations. So when Jesus goes forth and he has that, that righteous anger, what was his anger towards? His anger was towards sin. His anger was towards sin. So we must recognize that church. Ephesians tells us in chapter 4, 26, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So when we look at this, our anger must only be against sin. Our anger should never be against our brother or our sister. Now, let me just go back for a second because at the beginning of this in verse 22, in the NASB, it doesn't use the word without cause. But in the New King James and the King James, it uses that if you have anger towards your brother without cause. So what happens here is some people say, well, why is it in the New King James, not the NSAB and other translations? Well, when you go back to the original, uh, without cause was not necessarily there. But let me just say this. We never have a cause to be angry with our brother. But we do have cause to be angry against sin. We never have a cause to be angry with our brother. Actually, in Ephesians 4, going on down in verse 31 through 32, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. It says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God also has forgiven you. God in Christ has forgiven you. See, we must recognize... That when our brother does something, our sister does something against us, our anger cannot be against them. 
Church, let me just tell you, we must separate the fact that we have a brother in Christ who has been deceived by the enemy, and the enemy has brought them to a place of sin. So where's our anger? Where's our frustration? It needs to be against the sin. It needs to be against the enemy. What does Ephesians 6 tell us? But our, our fight, our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood. But what is it against? And we see the forces of darkness, spiritual forces and wickedness in the heavenly places. See, we must recognize that our anger is never to be against a brother or a sister. You may say, David, this is really difficult. Yeah, but we see it in Jesus. Jesus had compassion on us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ loved us and went to the cross. Was he angry about sin? We see that in the New Testament. But was he angry with those who were enslaved to the enemy? No, he had compassion and love for them. And he went to the cross. So you may say, David, this is really difficult. How do we separate the two? Well, we separate the two by abiding in Christ. And when we abide and dwell in Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, the power of the Holy Spirit does that for us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to see that it's the enemy that has deceived someone. It's the enemy that has gotten a foothold. And I'm not going to let the enemy have a foothold in my life. And so I'm not going to harbor anger against my brother. I'm going to have compassion and mercy upon them. But I am going to pray for them, that, that they would see what has taken place, that they would see what the enemy has done. See, when we walk in sin, we harbor the anger in our hearts towards that person. But then Jesus continues on. He says, it's not just harboring it in your heart, but when you hold that in your heart, you know what's going to happen? It's going to come out of your mouth. Look at what he says. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. See, first we see that we can't have anger in our heart. But then Jesus says, when you insult your brother, when you speak out of that anger. The word there for good for nothing is raka, which means empty-headed. Anger that is unresolved will lead to you speaking things that you never needed to speak against your brother or your sister. Luke 6.45 says this, The good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. You want to know if you have anger or bitterness or resentment in your heart for somebody? Listen to how you speak about somebody. Listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. You may say, but, but I'm just speaking truth. Yeah, but do you have compassion and mercy for them? Is it out of gentleness and love? Or is it out of frustration, anger, and bitterness that you speak those things? We must listen as Jesus says here that if you harbor anger in your heart, then it will come forth from your mouth. But then he goes on and he says, not only will it come forth from your mouth, but this is how I label this last one, is that not only will it come out of your mouth, but it will also eventually become what I put down, verbal abuse. Look at what it says down in verse 22. But I say to you, and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hells. Now, we see here, first off, this, this word fool is where we get the word moron, all right? That's where we get the word moron. But this is not simply just an insult on somebody. This is a uh, character assassination on someone. Let me read to you what Charles uh, Quarles says in his book, um, The Sermon on the Mount, Restoring Christ's Message to the Modern Church. He says this, the use of moros or moron in Matthew's gospel shows that it is far more severe than merely calling someone an idiot. The word is used in Matthew 7, 26, 23, 17, 25, 2 through 3, and 8 to describe those who are not truly belonging to the kingdom. 
Calling a brother a fool or a moron was essentially calling him an unregenerate and unsaved and consigning him to hell. So when Jesus speaks this, he's saying, when you begin to go after somebody's character, when you begin to say that this person is an unregenerate, non-believing, not part of the body of Christ, all because of the anger within you, we see this this third progression. Uh, Think about when anger goes unchecked in your life. Yeah, we'll speak something to that person sometimes out of anger. But how often do we go speak to other people about that person? How often do you find yourself speaking against that person and beginning to try to build up an army against that person? You make assumptions of what their motives were and you begin to turn people and sway people against them. You begin to speak things that that may have a little bit of truth but a lot of error in it ultimately coming against their character. Church, we must recognize that if we do not separate between the person and the enemy, have compassion and gentleness and mercy towards our brother and sister, and have our anger towards the enemy, if our anger is directed at a brother or sister in Christ, it will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you way more than you want to pay. You may think, I'm the only one that's holding this in. But let me tell you, people around you can tell when there's something that you're harboring in your heart. So what does Jesus tell us? He says, take action. He says, take action. Now Jesus, who gives us this parable here, this understanding, helps us to recognize what we need to do. He says this in Matthew, continuing on in verse 23. He says, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Jesus says take action. And the first thing we see here is be reconciled to your brother. Be reconciled to your brother. The word reconcile means to be made right. To be made right. Church, can I tell you, we can't tell people that we're right with God if we're not right with our brother. Let me just say that again. We can't tell people that we're right with God if we're not right with our brother or our sister. Let me remind you that the cross has two beams. Jesus died upon the cross, rose again on the third day, so that you could first be reconciled, made right with God. But then he also, through being made right with God, allowed us to be made right with each other. Listen, if you are not right with your brother, you cannot tell people that you are right with God. Jesus uses this example of one bringing an offering. And if you have an ought against your brother, he tells you, he says, lay the offering down and go get right with your brother. Then come back. See, man often thinks, you know, listen, I've got something against my brother or sister. There's some things, you know, I'm not perfect but I'm going to go to church and I'm going to, I'm going to do the ceremonial things. I'm going to give. I'm going to worship. I'm going to raise my hands and all this. And we think that through these acts of ceremonial things and, and worship and all of this, that, that we're going to be okay. We're going to feel right. But Jesus says, no, I, I want none of that. What I want is for your heart to be pure. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Not he who shows up every Sunday morning. Not he who shows up and gives. Not he who serves, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart. What does Jesus tell him to do? Lay it down and go and seek reconciliation with your brother. Now, Jesus speaks very clearly in the Old Testament about this idea of sacrifice over obedience. What does he want? He wants obedience. He wants a contrite, broken heart, not just a sacrifice. But before we look at that, Psalm 66, 18 tells us, 
That if we come to the Lord to offer, but yet we are harboring in our heart wickedness or anger, it says the Lord will not hear. It says if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Why does he say, lay it down and go deal with your brother? Because we see right there in Psalm 66, but when someone comes with an impure heart, it says he doesn't hear. But let's look at one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament of how God said that he does not desire just simply a sacrifice, but he wants a heart of obedience. See, we have the three kings, not those that are coming to baby Jesus. We have the three kings of Saul, and then we have David, and then Solomon. Saul was to be king, and he became king. And, but the problem is that Saul had, as many people say, no heart for God. And though he tried to walk in obedience, he did it in his own manner, in his own way. And he was doing things that he was not supposed to do. Samuel comes to Saul and he speaks to him very clearly in 1 Samuel 15. And he says this starting in verse 17. Samuel said, Is it not true? Though you were little in the eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on mission and said, And go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Solomon, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag and the the king of Amalekah and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choice of the things devoted uh, devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in a burnt offering and a sacrifice as in obedience, the voice of the Lord, obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than a sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For the rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. What did Saul do? He said, I'm going to bring back, well, really we see later that he was fearful of the people, right? And so he allowed the people to to bring back these choice things that we're not supposed to bring back. And he said, you know what, we're going to sacrifice those to the Lord. But God never asked for that sacrifice. He asked for their obedience. See, it's about the heart, church. We see here in this passage that if we come and try to offer sacrifice when our heart is not pure, it's the same thing that Saul did because Saul did not walk in obedience. And God is calling us in Matthew 5 to walk in obedience of being reconciled to our brothers and our sisters before we even come to place an offering. See, King David, who became king after Saul, also reiterated this point in Psalm 51. After David had sinned, he said this in verse 16 through 17 of Psalm 51. For you do not delight in the sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Church, do we recognize that if we harbor anger in our hearts against a brother, we are committing sin. And God calls us to be reconciled to them, even before laying an offering down at the altar. Because who can ascend the hill of the Lord? But he who has clean hands and a pure heart. So he doesn't just say, go and be reconciled, but he tells us the time frame in verse 25. He says this in verse 25, Make friends quickly with your opponents at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. We see that we're called to be reconciled to our brother, and we see that we're called to reconcile quickly. We see that we're called to reconcile quickly. 
Remember Ephesians 4.26? We read this just a minute ago. Be angry and do not sin. And then right after that it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. I'll never forget seeing a cartoon one day and it was a husband and wife and the husband was looking outside and the sun was finally coming up and he said, okay, we can go to sleep now. If you don't get that, I'll tell you later. (laughs) Reconcile quickly. Why? Because the longer you wait, the more it will cost you. For one, it's going to hold you in the shackles by harboring anger in your heart. There's people in this room who have held anger and resentment and frustration and struggles towards somebody for 10, 15 years. And it's been shackles that you've been carrying around that today God's saying, lay them down. Lay them down. Why are you continually carrying shackles? My son died so that you could lay those down. But can I tell you that there's also the concern of the progression of anger that leads to more and more sin. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, that was not my intentions to do that, but, but it, just, I, it just boiled up inside of me and boiled up inside of me to the point that I eventually went and did this or did that, and I know it's wrong. It's because they didn't reconcile quickly. In this passage it says, and it doesn't even use the word brother here, it says if a friend... Or opponent at law. You're called to reconcile quickly. If there's an issue that you have, we must reconcile quickly, or else you will be in danger of even more consequences of this one in your own heart, and two, others around you. And so, church, will we obey what God is speaking to us? So, I want to close today with practical, with the practical. Let me just say this first. It is our job to walk in obedience of God's word, to go to our brothers and sisters to seek reconciliation, but it is not your responsibility to create reconciliation. Now that may sound really hard to understand. How do we have reconciliation? The cross. It's our job, our our obedience to God's holy word, to go and to speak to our brother and sister But you can't force somebody to be reconciled. So what we must do is walk in obedience and walk in humility and gentleness. Look at Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. You say, David... My heart was broken for a situation. I went to my brother and I shared with them my heart and they did not receive it. And, and not only that, but they, they were harsh back to me. I would tell you, listen, you have walked in accordance to God's word. You've got to lay that down. you got to lay it down. Let me also tell you, church, we're not responsible for other people's actions. We're responsible for our actions. The scripture tells us in Galatians 6, you shall... Uh, God shall not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. See, oftentimes, we'll give excuses of why we don't go to our brother or sister. Well, they can't hear what we're saying. They don't want to be reconciled. I, I don't know how they'll respond. Can I tell you that all of those are excuses that's actually blaming the other person for your lack of obedience. Let me just say that again. All of those are excuses that is ultimately blaming the other person for our lack of obedience. But David, I don't know how they're going to respond. It's not your responsibility how they respond. It's your responsibility to walk in obedience of God's word. But David, I don't think they can hear. It's not your responsibility to make them hear. It's your responsibility to walk in accordance to God's word. I don't think they can hear it, David. I don't think that they're going to respond well. I I think they're going to be upset with me. Well, we're called to own what we're called to own. You say, but but I know that this person is very emotional and they're going to get really emotional. Even their emotions are not for you to hold on to. But let me be very clear. If you go to your brother to be reconciled, 
You must walk in humility and gentleness. If you walk in with pride, you're responsible for that. You're responsible for the pride. You don't go to your brother to be reconciled to defend your actions. You don't go to your brother to be reconciled to show them how right you are and how wrong they are. See, church, what happens is is that people will will go with a, a heart of anger instead of a heart of humility and brokenness. And I will tell you, until your heart is at a place of humility, until your heart is truly seeking God in all aspects, and you're walking in gentleness and love and mercy and compassion towards your brother and sister, all you're going to do is bring about more sin by going in pride and anger. So you say, well, David, I thought you just said that, that we're called to be reconciled quickly. We are. But you might need to have a heart check before you go to your brother or sister. You may need to seek the Lord. Psalm 139, search me and know me, O Lord, and show me any evil way about me. Am I going to my brother because of mercy and grace and love for my brother and longing for reconciliation? Or am I going to my brother simply because he's upset, she's upset, and I just need to go and make sure that, 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 that she knows, he knows what's right and, and, and this and that? What's your heart behind it? Jesus is continually showing us over and over and over that it's about the heart. It's about the heart. See, the practical side of this is that we can't, we can't keep walking in harboring anger and bitterness and frustration. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be reconciled to God and that we could be reconciled to one another. So the question today is, what have you been harboring in your heart? Have you laid that down before the throne? For some of us today, when we leave here, the first thing you need to do is make sure your heart is pure in humbleness, brokenness, contrite heart, and go to your brother or your sister and share with them. For some of you in here today, you say, but David, the person that I'm angry with has passed away. And the opportunity, the door, the window has closed. Let me just tell you that there is forgiveness and there is grace. And so what I tell people that are dealing with that and people are constantly dealing with that, especially when it comes to do with a family member who has gone to be with the Lord or has passed away. I tell them, write down as if you were sitting with that person and sharing your heart with that person. Write it down. And then I tell them, uh, some people will say, David, do I keep that letter? What do I do? I say destroy it. Because it's the same thing as laying that burden down. You've shared your heart before God. And you've cried out for repentance and brokenness. And you forgive the person who has hurt you that has built up anger inside of you, and you lay that down. Some people say, do you shred it? Do you throw it in the fire? I just say, get rid of it. Because it's not something you have to hold on any longer. Church, how are we with our brother and our sister? Are we, as much as it depends on us, at peace with our brother and sister? One last thing before we Pray and close. If somebody comes to you and speaks to you with a broken and and humble and contrite heart, listen. Have ears to hear. Listen to what your brother or sister is saying. If they come to you with pride and anger, you don't have to receive that. But don't jump back with anger. I've already told you before what I always do when somebody comes to me and I don't really understand it or I don't see it, I go to a brother in Christ and say, hey, listen, this is what was shared. Do you see this in my life? If so, I want to fall on my face and repent right now. And if you don't see this in my life, then I'm going to, I'm not going to hold on to it. Church, are we showing the world that we walk in reconciliation first with God and then with each other? Jesus said that if you're harboring anger in your heart, It's the same as the act of murder. What he wants more than 
us just showing up and raising our hands in worship is a heart that's completely His. A broken and contrite heart He will not despise.